Hello, it is 17th of February 2018 and this is episode 59 of Scavenger's Horde, a Stars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Stars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Um, I've not had a very Star Warsy week, to be honest. Mm, same. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of nice to take a little break, and I've had lots of other stuff going on too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sometimes it's good to step away and then come back and enjoy Star Wars with fresh eyes. Yeah, definitely. I know last week I was mentioning to you that I might see The Last Jedi one last time, but I didn't because stuff came up, and I have now lost my opportunity because there are no cinemas left in London showing it. Well, that's not true. There's no Odeon cinemas left in London, and I only really go to Odeon cinemas because I have the pass. So, yeah, <laughs> I kind of feel not even a bit regretful. It's not that long until the Blu-ray comes out. So yeah, no, I can last. I can last, but I, I am missing it to an extent. Aww. Like <laughs> first world problems. <laughs> Um, instead though I watched Black Panther today which is really good um, there's a character in it called Shuri who's um, the like little sister of um, Black Panther and she's fantastic so yeah this is a really good film that I'd strongly recommend and it's filled with kick-ass women so yeah go out and see it I'm sure everyone has already seen it because yeah it's going to make 200 million dollars or something crazy this weekend but yeah it has my recommendation yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm very excited. So. Yeah, that's one to watch. <laughs> right, then we can probably dive straight into the news. And the main big thing this week, to be honest, is that we have a bunch of publishing news about the solo tie-in books. Um, and this is from an Entertainment Weekly report. Um, I think what I'll do is I will go through each of the synopses one by one and then we'll discuss them all in turn just to prevent there being like a big wall of words because it's really boring to just listen to me read out synopsis (laughs) after synopsis for three minutes. (laughs) Right. Um, The first book, which I think is probably like the flagship release of this wave, so to speak, is Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older. The author of Half Resurrection Blues and Shadow Shaper has penned this novel that connects three eras in the lives of Han Solo and Lando Calrissian. Part of it takes place before the events of Solo and focuses on Lando in L337, Siglane says, referring to Lando's droid sidekick in the new film. Part of it takes place between Solo and A New Hope, and that focuses on Han and Chewie, and that's where we get Sana Staros for the first time. She would be the character, first introduced in Marvel Comics, who claimed to be married to Han. Part of it takes place post-Return of the Jedi, and that's where we see Han, Leia, a very young Ben Solo, and Lando come into the story, Siglane adds. The cover is reversible. On one side is Han's silhouette, while Lando's is on the other. There's also a convention-exclusive cover, featuring L3 and Chewbacca. We bounce around through time, Siglane says. We always wanted to tell a story that had Han and Lando having one adventure after Return of the Jedi. At the same time, we really liked the idea of contrasting that with seeing them much earlier in their lives. A crime lord comes looking for the owner of the Millennium Falcon, but mistakenly thinks it was Han Solo at the time, but it was really Lando, which gets Lando mixed up in something else Han did that was Han's fault. All these years later, the two of them have to right a wrong from much earlier in their history. I'm actually really intrigued by this, and I think of all the books that have been announced in this wave, this is probably the one that sounds the most essential to me. Um, what do you think about this one, Kirsty? 
Me too. And if people can probably guess that a big part of that is the fact that we'll be getting baby Ben Solo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not gonna pretend that, that isn't a big factor of it. But I'm also very excited about this the way they're describing it in general. Like that we'll get these different time jumps. We're gonna have Sanastaros in there. That's cool. Yes. Um because I'm not really a comic person, but I've I've seen a few panels with her in hand. Um and I'm just intrigued to see more of that relationship. Yeah. Um and yeah, I think it's, it sounds like it's a great way to set up the movie. Um, I don't remember seeing what the release date is, whether we actually get this before the movie or after. I do, do think know? it comes out before. Yeah, I think okay, it comes cool. out in April and then the movie's in May. But don't okay. quote me on that because I might be wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the fact that we're getting like more of the the solo family dynamic does kind of tell me or at least suggest that when we were talking last week about potential Han and Ben parallels in the movie, mm. there might be some more connections there. What do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I would certainly love to see that. I, I'm not sure there's enough here to go with that, um, but I absolutely think that's possible. And I think like an idea that I get from this, and this might be completely wrong, is that is this idea of Han perhaps being called away on these adventures, like to do with mm-hmm. like his old scoundrel-ish life, you know, and then perhaps not being there for stretches at a time when Ben was little. And yeah, because you know from The Force Awakens that Ben considered Han a bit of a disappointing father in many ways. And I do think that this sort of story about Han's life when he was a married man that might tie into that to a certain extent. So I'm not saying he was a bad father. I'm just saying that because he had such a complicated life and all this like elaborate history with like these criminal types, I think there is potential for that to draw him off with some level of frequency and call him away from Leia and Ben. And then that does actually have ramifications for the whole family dynamic. But I don't know. What do you think? I think that could tie in with Empire's End. Um, I can't remember if you read that, but... Um, we saw baby Ben Solo, like Leia had literally just given birth. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like kind of implications that Han is feeling anxious about the idea of becoming a father. And that's probably to do with his own parents and how he kind of raised himself. Um, And the fact that he does have this real taste for adventure. Like he, he seemed to be struggling with the idea of settling down in that book. Mm. So yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, no, we absolutely will. And yeah, I just like the sense I'm getting of like quite a twisty narrative and the fact that we're going to be seeing all these different periods in his life. Because like you, I haven't read the comics and I haven't read Empire's End either, to be frank, but I know what happens in it. Um, but I know like as a base level that we meet Sana because she turns up in Han's life apparently after he's ditched her. And I think it's revealed that the whole marriage thing was just an elaborate ruse as part of like a criminal scheme. And mm-hmm. so we see Sano and she's like turning up again in Han's life, but we obviously don't see when they meet in the comics. So I think it's cool that we're actually going to see that first encounter and presumably the scenario that requires them to have this like fake marriage. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, right, ready to move on? Yeah. Cool. Then the next book is Most Wanted by Ray Carson. This young adult book by the author of The Girl of Fire and Fawns focuses on Alden Ehrenreich's Han Solo and Amelia Clark's Kira back in their teenage years. 
This is about the younger, young Han Solo, Siglane says. We'll see what it was like for these two kids from Corellia to survive the seedy streets of this industrial world. They're definitely products of their environment, and this story shows that. This is quite a slight description, but again, I'm quite looking forward to this one, and I like that we have a female voice getting in there, especially because it seems like it's going to be Kira-centric as much as it's focused on Han, and I think that's important. Um, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see those early years on Corellia, and I think this is like a nice bit of confirmation of that as well, because... I think we all assumed that he grew up on Corellia and was there when he was a teenager, but I don't think it was confirmed and this seems to confirm it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited to read this one because I love Star Wars Young Adult book. Mm. And I feel like because we've already had them saying that Kira is a love interest, I feel like there's going to be some element of romance in this book. Yes. Or at least them like coming to terms with the fact that they might have feelings for each other. I mean, we'll see. But yeah. Um, yeah, Lost Stars is my favourite Star Wars book, so I'm kind of hoping that this is in that kind of vein. Yeah. Not generalised too much, but... Yeah. yeah. I, I just looked up at The Girl of Fire and Fawns, which is the other book that the author's written, and it has a very intriguing description. Set in intrigue-filled courts, battlefields, and windswept deserts, this riveting fantasy tests its heroine's limits as she struggles to fulfil a destiny wrapped in an ancient mystery. A breathtaking adventure in a fascinating, richly drawn world. That sounds like so many like Raylo AU fan fictions. <laughs> it basically is. I, I mean, not knocking YA. I think there's so yeah. much good stuff for that, and I read a lot of it. But um, mm. yeah, sounds like my jam. You know, guilty pleasures. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like you say, there's certain tropes you get in YA fiction which recur again and again and I do think this idea of the girl being this like exciting court scenario that is very common I mean let's be real Star Wars movies are YA as well oh yeah 100% often they're much younger than YA <laughs> well yeah but I mean like in terms of the romance it oh is yeah and obvious and yeah yeah no exactly there's certain tropes it falls back on right then we have a comic which is Lando, Double or Nothing. This Marvel Comics miniseries is written by Rodney Barnes, a veteran scribe from TV's The Boondocks, and will play out over five issues. It's focused on Lando and set during an instant right before the film with backstory about Lando and L3, Siglane says. The series debuts the Wednesday after the movie opens, since its story is so closely tied in. Coming out of the film, we think everyone is going to want to read more about Lando. And yeah, then alongside um, those three books, there's also been loads of other stuff like comic books and children's books and Pablo guides. So that makes it sound like there are guides to Pablo Hidalgo, which is wrong. (laughs) They're guides written by Pablo Hidalgo. And yeah, there's also like a very (laughs) amusingly illustrated um, book about Chewie and a Kid. Like, isn't it like Chewie and the Brave Kid or something? Something like that. Courageous or whatever. <laughs> yes. And yeah, like, I probably won't be reading all of those. <laughs> yeah, not I... for us. We're not the target demo there. Yeah, exactly. How dare these books for four-year-olds exist? <laughs> I'm disgusted. Um, not my Star Wars. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, so there's this very large range of books coming out, including that comic series. Um, are you excited for the comic? And, and you looking forward to that solo sticker album? 
Yeah, I'm not really a comics person, so I'm excited to like. I'll kind of get the Cliff Notes version. I'll I'll see what comes out of these. Yeah. Um, but I probably won't read them myself. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting that they're kind of anticipating that Lando is going to be the breakout star, and I guess that means that Donald Glover is going to be the breakout performance because I don't know that they're, they're saying that about him, but not Han in the same way. Yeah. Maybe it's just because we know more about Han and Canon, whereas Lando's still something of a mystery. Yeah, no, that's true, and I guess we're already going to get a lot of Han in the movie, because obviously he's the protagonist, so maybe it's kind of like, well, Lando's great in this film, but he's only a side character, and we don't get too much of him, so you're going to want to um, watch the movie. No, so you're going to want to read the comic book series to get more, is that sort of thing. Yeah, because I, I don't follow the comics, it's just too much, and yeah, like so I know they did that whole DJ series, but nah... <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a little bit of it on Tumblr, and it's like, yeah, this seems in character and fun, but it's also expensive. Like, I I spend enough on Star Wars as it is. Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to have reasonable limits, I think. You just can't get everything. <laughs> yeah. There has to be some element of selection. Then, the next story is that the Blade Runner 2049 art director has been hired for Star Wars Episode Nine, And this is from Slash Film. Details about Star Wars Episode Nine are sketchy at the moment, but one thing we do know now is that the film will look great. Paul Inglis, arc director of Blade Runner 2049, has just been hired for the upcoming J.J. Abrams-directed sequel. More on the Episode Nine art director below. Paul Inglis, art director on Skyfall, Game of Thrones, Prometheus, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, Children of Men, and, of course, Blade Runner 2049, is headed to a galaxy far, far away for Star Wars Episode Nine. Omega Underground confirms Inglis's involvement with the, with the film. Star Wars The Force Awakens director J.J. Abrams will return to helm the latest chapter in the ongoing Skywalker saga, which is expected to start filming in June 2018. Um, yeah, and I'm excited for this because any creative person who was involved in Blade Runner 2049, which was probably the most beautiful film of last year. Like I, I love The Last Jedi and I think I prefer it is above it um, on my favourites list of the year. Um, but I do think Blade Runner like pipped it to the post, so to speak, in terms of visual splendour, because it's just such a stunningly gorgeous film. And I cannot praise it enough. It's so beautiful in all ways. Um, but yeah, so Paul Inglis was a big part of that, but it's worth mentioning that the art director is not the production designer. So I think there's probably some confusion over what the art director actually does. And the art director is kind of responsible for taking the production designer's vision for the film and then making sure that happens. So like liaising with the set builders and the set decorators and like all those people on the ground to make sure that the production designer's vision is fulfilled. So it's kind of like an intermediary role rather than a fully mm. creative role. But yeah, it's great that he's involved. Yeah, definitely. Like you, I loved Blade Runner 2049. I know it wasn't a huge box office success. Um, that makes me oh. sad, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get it. It wasn't super accessible and it was very long. Yeah. But I, I, I thought it was great. I had to mm. see it a few times. Um, and I'll definitely be getting, I don't know, like I, I will be watching it again because yeah. there's a lot there. Um, definitely. So yeah, this is a good announcement. But like you say... It's not like, oh, that means it's going to look like Blade Runner or anything like that. It's, <laughs> yes. He has a, like a long list of credits here and um, some of those other movies. I'm not like, oh, my God, I loved that movie for how it looked. You know? so <laughs> Yeah. 
I do think those are actually all great looking movies. It's like, I really don't like Prometheus, to be honest. And I think Prometheus is pretty bad. But I do think it looked fantastic. And I think I've seen all those other films apart from... No, I have seen Children of Men. And Children of Men, it's not like a particularly visual film. It's more of a drama. But it still looked good. So Yeah, yeah I'm not saying they're bad. But they're not like films I would pick out as like, oh my god, this was a beautiful film. You oh know? yeah, sure. No, I so. totally get it. But it's also just exciting to get news about episode nine. So. Yeah, exactly. We'll take whatever breadcrumbs we can get. <laughs> but it makes sense for them to put the spotlight on Blade Runner because for all of the misgivings that people had about that movie, I think one thing that pe- everyone can agree on is that it it looked good. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense to put that at the forefront. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, I think we'd literally be like... Um... This random kid from Norfolk has been hired to be the best boy on episode nine. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, this is so exciting. Yeah, we're gonna go through that whole process again that we did with episode eight, where like the tiniest shred of news is like, let's see how much mileage we can get out of this. Yeah, it's precious. <laughs> um, yeah, and then just one more tiny thing that we wanted to mention quickly. It's not really a news story. It's just a small tidbit. Um, but Oscar Isaac, he's been impressed for Annihilation recently. And yeah, there's been some fun stuff that's come out. And basically, it seems like Annihilation and The Last Jedi were filming at exactly the same time on the on the same studio lot. So there was lots of skipping between stages. And apparently, Oscar Isaac, he would sometimes film both of them on the same day, which is quite the feat because I haven't seen Annihilation I'm sure Oscar had to get in a very different headspace to play his Annihilation character as compared to Poe Dameron. <laughs> exactly. I'm not expecting Poe. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's going to feel very different. But I, he is a great actor, so I can totally buy him being able to do that. Yeah. No, it takes real skill, I think, to switch it on and off like that and to veer so wildly in terms of the performances you give. I don't think that's something like Daniel Day-Lewis could do, you know, because someone like Daniel Day-Lewis, he's he's so method, he wouldn't just be able to switch off the method to like go skipping over to the next set and be someone completely different. Oh, definitely. I guess they all have their different styles, but I just also love the thought of him like filming with Carrie in the morning and then filming with Natalie a few hours later. Yes, that's so true. Um, Because didn't we hear that Natalie was on The Last Jedi set as well? Yeah, she definitely was. Which totally makes sense. If she was filming there at the same time, it'd be almost weird if she didn't go. Yeah. Um, She said she took her son, and apparently her son thought she was like the coolest mom ever because she (laughs) took him to see Star Wars. Yeah. And I can totally see that. I bet, to be honest, that having like kids, it's probably given her a fresh perspective on Star Wars because it's been a while, but I think I read that Natalie didn't grow up with Star Wars. So she didn't really watch them when she was a child. She only watched them like a bit before to prepare for when she was playing Padme in The Phantom Menace. Mm. So I doubt she ever really got the magic in the way someone who grew up with it as a little kid would. But I think when you have kids and you can see it through their eyes, then you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I see how magical this is for them. And that's really nice. Yeah, that is exciting. And I still have my fingers crossed for an eventual... No, I don't expect Natalie to be in it, but I would like... A Padme reference somewhere in the sequel trilogy. Come on, JJ. Yeah. <laughs> Padme Force Ghost. I don't care if it's completely implausible. <laughs> <laughs> Just some acknowledgement. Like, because they've done it more in the books and the comics. Um, yeah. Of like, yeah, Leia has 
stored away her dresses and things like that and then going back to Naboo with the book. But yeah. I'd like I'd like something. Hope that Emperor Ren sets up like his royal residence on Naboo and then there has to be like an elaborate fancy dress ball and Ray sneaks in wearing one of Padme's dresses. Nope. Oh, sorry, that's my real fanfiction. I was gonna say that sounds like prime fanfic material. <laughs> yeah, I need to go and write that. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> also, the talk about Padme being a force ghost <laughs> just made me think of a really ridiculous YouTube video I once saw, where you know the end of um, Return of the Jedi and all the ghosts appear and like look on as like Luke and everyone celebrating. Um, I saw like a fan edit and someone had added in like all the prequel Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the random like ghosts of like Plo Kloon and like Aayla uh, Secura, <laughs> like Qui Gon, <laughs> like all these randoms, and I love looking at it because it just makes me hysterical. Because I'm like, look, Luke would be looking at this, thinking, who the hell are all these people? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say something about people still getting really mad about it being Hayden as Anakin's fourth ghost. Because <laughs> no. people still do. They do, I was yes. Quite, I was watching Return of the Jedi a few weeks ago with my husband and he and he still has something to say about it. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> Why do people care about this so much? Yeah, it doesn't bother me that much. And I grew up with Sebastian Shaw fourth ghost, you know, so the VHS yeah. tapes. But like it doesn't matter really <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. like i grew up with that version too but i also when they changed it it was also like oh yeah that makes sense like just it's a movie <laughs> just chill out guys go the flow <laughs> and then the real very last thing <laughs> we want to discuss for the news section is that we have some words from jj abrams on episode nine and since all information on episode 9 is precious and in short supply we are going to cover this no matter how minute or slight the words may be um so yeah this is from indiewire asked by indiewire about pushback from stars fans who decried ryan johnson's film for its focus on more female-centric stories bolstered by the addition of franchise newbies like laura dern and kelly marie tran abrams was clear their problem isn't star wars their problem is being threatened. Abrams was unfazed. Star Wars is a big galaxy, and you can sort of find almost anything you want to in Star Wars, he said. If you are someone who feels threatened by women and needs to lash out against them, you can probably find an enemy in Star Wars. You can probably look at the first movie that George Lucas did and say that Leia was too outspoken or she was too tough. Anyone who wants to find a problem with anything can find the problem. The internet seems to be made for that. Asked if fan outcry would at all impact his vision for the upcoming film, Abrams was clear. Not in the least, he said, adding, There's a lot that I would like to say about it, but I feel like it's a little too early to be having the episode 9 conversation. I will say that the story of Ray and Poe and Finn and Kylo Ren, and, if you look, there are three men and one woman, to those that are complaining that there are too many women in Star Wars, their story continues in a way that I couldn't be more excited about and cannot wait for people to see. Abrams has weathered this sort of blowback before. I think everyone is going to have their point of view, Abrams said. Certainly something I discovered early on in the Star Wars world is that you're going to have an incredibly passionate and vocal fan base and they're all going to have a lot of specific opinions. <laughs> no. <laughs> Never. 
I almost feel like passionate and vocal is like a euphemism for something much ruder that he would actually want to say about the fan base. I mean, I do feel like that. Obviously, it is not most Star Wars fans. Like they say, it's a vocal minority and the internet facilitates this. Um, And I think it's also important to point out, because I've seen some people react to this article angrily, that he's talking specifically about people who didn't like it for this reason. If you just don't like The Last Jedi, that's fine. He's not talking about you. You have a right to dislike the movie. But he's talking about it from people who were angry about it because it had female characters and female-centric narratives. Mm. Heavens forbid. Um, So... Yeah, like I think it's great that he's just like, yep, yeah, that's that's fine by us. You don't have to like it. It's not going to affect what we do with episode nine. Yeah. Um, I, the only thing that I'm a little bit worried about, and it's probably just that he forgot to mention her, was that he didn't bring up Rose when he was talking about the main characters. Yeah. Because um, he's like, oh, it's one woman and three men, so even that point doesn't stand. Yeah. Um, but we, I, I, it makes me wonder if Rose is going to end up being more of a supporting role, but it, it's way too early to assume that so yeah it's really hard and i guess it'll all depend on how much jj wants to use her because of course rose is ryan's baby mm. so she isn't a jj character like poe finn and ray and kylo of course um so i think it's natural that he's going to give priority to his own characters in the story um that i know that sounds a little bit harsh but I just do think that's probably going to be how things wind up. I do still hope that Rose has an important part, but I can't help but feel that she might be like a bit more on the back burner as compared to The Last Jedi. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. It really is early days, but I think overall what he's saying here is really encouraging. Yeah, and I absolutely. think it's in keeping with what Ryan and other people at Lucasfilm have have been reacting to all of the backlash with. There's kind of like amusement basically that people are kind of whining about something in this really silly entitled way um because mm. i mean they're right like leia was right there in the first movie and she played an important part and she was this outspoken nuanced character yeah so. exactly it says a great deal i think on that note it's a good time to move on to our spotlight discussion which concerns the characters of Poe, Holdo, and Leia in The Last Jedi. And yeah, I was wondering if you'd like to kick this off, Kirsty, because I've been doing a lot of yapping and I'm sure people are sick of me. Okay, so we're going to be following Poe's journey um, because he's obviously the, the young like lead of this subplot. Mm-hmm. Um, so Holdo and Leia are relevant in terms of how they fit into his story and how they progress his arc because... I really feel like I liked Leia a lot in The Last Jedi, but I feel like a lot of her function in the narrative was to that end. Yeah. Um, I think because we'd heard before that this was going to be like Luke Skywalker's movie and then the next one was going to be Leia's. So I feel like she was going to have more of her own arc there and they were kind of just setting up things in place that for this movie in that yeah. respect, but very subtly. Yeah. So main bulk of it is that we're going to be following Poe's arc and then how those two characters fit into that and support him. Yeah. I guess we'll start at the beginning. Um, Poe is in the very first scene, just like in The Force Awakens. And we see him once again risking his life against the First Order and managing to evade capture this time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this is the scene that really sets up kind of that humorous tone of the movie, right? Because we get that general hugs exchange. (laughs) Yes. So... Yeah, I was just wondering how you felt about the movie starting out with this joke. I 
I think it took me a while to figure out what was going on with it. I was kind of a bit like the confused guards looking on, you know, and they're like watching <laughs> Hux, like do his Hux thing. And I was kind of like, oh, that's why he's doing it <laughs> when it got to that level of realisation. And then when I realised what was actually going on, I was able to enjoy it and relax. And yeah, it was funny. Um, and I think it's the reaction shots of the people looking at Hux that make it hilarious to me. Because they just have these kinds of like cringing, like pitying expressions on their faces. And mm-hmm. yeah, that brings the humour in and it's funny. So yeah, I like it. I have seen it described as like Marvel humour, but I don't find that at all. Like I'm not even really sure what Marvel humour is, to be honest. But me neither. I don't think that's what's going on. It doesn't feel like a Marvel movie to me at all. No, I don't think so. I mean, jokes have always been in Star Wars. It is corny. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I like the fact that like Poe or Oscar, I suppose, plays it very straight. Yes. Like it's just Poe messing with him, basically. To yeah. Um. Um. No, you're right. Um. I think it's just like both of the characters in their purest form. So like Poe being cocksure and confident, and like completely running rings around Hux by taking advantage of his like vanity and like self-confidence and then hugs just being peak hugs oh god i even i said hugs at that point (laughs) and then hugs being peak hugs by just going on with his elaborate speeches and pomposity and then that being like all torn apart for him so yeah i think both of the characters are very in character and i like seeing the interplay between them i'd actually like to see that rivalry continue in episode nine if possible because I do think they're going to be very much like on a level with each other because they're both going to be the military leaders of their respective sides. Exactly. Yeah, he's going to be the general now, basically, right? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I feel like it's a fun... Decon- not to talk about Hux too much, but we have to a little bit here. Um, it's kind of a fun deconstruction of Hux's self-important speeches in The Force Awakens. Yes. Because he's talking like this at someone who could not respect what he's saying. Compared yeah. to like how he delivers this big, grand, impressive speech to the stormtroopers, yeah, um, Poe just doesn't care. Like he's there to laugh at him. He thinks he's ridiculous. So yeah. it's kind of a fun subversion of that. Exactly. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> so then we get Poe directly defying orders and shutting his calm off with Leia, um, because it's basically like he he did it right that's what leia says she's like you did it poe now get your squad back here so we can get out of this place and then he just disagrees and it's like oh wait no this isn't going to be simple and you can already feel at that point like something's going to go wrong yes exactly um it's a really interesting like arc for poe to be honest because in many ways it's all about deconstruction deconstructing the hero Um, Because I've seen a lot of people talk about this and it's very true because typically if you get a character like Poe, if they like defy authority and they're like a renegade and they do their own thing, they're shown to succeed because of that. So like their assertiveness and their independence, those are shown to be virtues and they help to win the day in the end. But that's not really what happens with Poe because the fact that he defies the orders from above and thinks he knows best that does lead to really bad consequences and catastrophic loss of life, as we see in like the opening battle. 
And yeah, I, I just think it's a really interesting subversion and it's been so interesting to see people discuss that and see how people respond to that because yeah, like Poe was such a simplistic, like lovable, like roguish, like handsome pilot character in The Force Awakens. There wasn't much complexity to him and you were just rooting for him because there wasn't anything to dislike about him. How could you dislike Oscar Isaac in that role? But here there is that moral ambiguity to his actions and I think that makes him way more interesting. Me too. And I think looking at what Poe was like in The Force Awakens and what Ryan had to do with him now, obviously, early on, they had considered killing Poe in The Force Awakens and that's why you get that big chunk of the movie where he's just not there and then yeah. he comes back to save the day on Takodana. Um, so Ryan said in interviews, like, yeah, he wasn't a big part of that movie, but he is a part of this one. So I really had to find something to do with him and something that was going to be interesting. Yeah. Because at first, I think he tried to fit him into the Canto Bite um, side of the story. Like, b- before Rose was even a character, it yeah. was Poe and Finn going off to Canto Bite. And I know some fans were kind of upset to find that out because it was like, well, that could have been really good. But from Ryan's perspective, it was, well, these two characters are already very supportive and caring of each other. So there wasn't too much conflict there for them yeah. both to develop. Um, there might have been a way around it, but for whatever reason, Ryan decided that that wasn't what he wanted to do. So um, I think this is a really interesting way to take Poe. And if I think about it more, it's like, it's really probably the best way to like you say deconstruct the hero because in the force awakens he's presented as the perfect flyboy, and the way that holdo comes into his life and kind of points those things out like oh i know what you're like i've mm. got your number it is like oh okay so in that regard you're gonna have more going on under the surface yeah so, and and i think it really did succeed because by the end of the movie i'm far more interested in poe than i was before yeah same because, yeah, like, I always like characters, like, whichever side of a conflict they're on, when I feel like there are layers to them and when I feel like the narrative can take them in all these in- different directions. And I felt like there was only ever one direction for Poe in The Force Awakens, whereas now I feel like there's all these, like, possibilities open for what that character could do in Episode Nine, And mm-hmm. I really like that. Yeah, I feel like it... Even though they couldn't have known what was going to happen with Carrie, I feel like because there is now going to be that general role to fill, Mm. I feel like it's actually been almost this serendipitous thing with what they did with Poe in this movie because his arc will now fit seamlessly if they decide that they want to make him general. Absolutely, yeah. He's going to take that mantle. Yeah. No, I think that works really well. Um, yeah, so in the battle, um, we see Poe like very much is like a leader, and he clearly has lots of support within the resistance, because you see how he has all the bombers on his side, how he has Tally on his side. So there was clearly like some premeditation involved for this assault on Poe's part, because everyone's on standby and knows what they need to do, and they will sync up when the time comes. So it does suggest that Poe was very much taking matters into his own hands in quite a big way without consulting with Leia. Mm-hmm. which I think is quite an interesting sign. Um, and yeah, like, you see the catastrophic like that loss of life and the loss of the bombers, especially, in that, bot- in that battle. And I felt that was a really, really great illustration of the consequences of this conflict and the real cost of it, which I never really got a sense for in The Force Awakens. So again, that's something I really appreciated in The Last Jedi. 
Yeah, definitely. Like Poe clearly has some form of relationship with Paige. He says her, he, he calls her by her first name. Yeah. He's like, you know, trying to spur her on. And then when we see her bomber going down into the dreadnought and exploding, like you see the reaction on his face. So there is a connection there. I know it's not spelled out. And I kind of wish in some way that there had been some reference to it when he was talking to Rose later on, but they c- they can't spell everything out. So yeah, I get exactly. it. Um, yeah. And I, I was thinking like, I don't know if this was an intentional thing. It might have been, but um, you know, when Poe switches off the calm with Leia, I wondered if that was supposed to be kind of full circle at the end when Finn switches off his comm. When I think that's completely intentional. That's not something I noticed the first time I watched it. But I think the second time around, when I was watching it and I saw him do that, I was like, that's so interesting because then Finn, at the end of the film, he's almost in a similar place to where Poe is at the start of the film. Yeah, and Poe is where Leia is. Yeah, exactly. So they're all, it's almost like they're all going along the same path, but they're all at different stages along it. And yeah, I could do like a whole thing about how even Kylo's going along that path and he's kind of like at the level that Finn was, <laughs> like at a certain point. Um, but yeah, that's another topic for another time. And yeah, like you say, that's a very striking gesture on his part the fact that he like literally turns Leia off. He doesn't want to listen to her in that moment. And again, I think that's a beautiful like starting point for him and then that makes his whole arc much more meaningful because then by the end of the film like he is listening to Leia and he really does want her advice and her approval for his actions and yeah I think that's lovely yeah it's pretty shocking really if you think about it that he does that because it's such a direct defiance um and then he seems so surprised when she slaps him later. It's like, what did you <laughs> <Yes>. expect? <laughs> like, even if the mission had been successful, which it clearly wasn't. Um, um, well, in, I guess it wasn't clearly wasn't because he thinks it was. He's like, we took down the dreadnought. But from her perspective, it's like, yeah, but at what cost? Um, yeah. So it's an interesting conversation they have there. Um, and yeah, like, I don't know. It's... I've seen some fans really struggle with this idea of Poe as someone who defies orders and it's not that he doesn't respect Leia and I think he really comes to respect Holdo once he realizes what the plan was even though he wasn't privy to it but he has to go on that journey right yes Um, so it's complicated and he's shown to make mistakes yeah exactly it's not like you say it's not about making him out to be a villain or like a horrible like misogynist meanie who like hates women that is not the story being told i've seen some clickbait articles that are like is poe the real villain of the last <laughs> i saw that and i was like oh no don't even start that discourse please do not yeah and then i saw people getting really angry about it and it's like that's exactly what they wanted <laughs> they're getting those clicks (laughs) falling right into that trap um yeah like it's not like shown in that way like i do think there's an undercurrent to it of like female leaders in particular like being perceived in certain ways and we go into that like when we get to the point of the story where holdo comes in um but yeah i don't think that's reflects so much on poe as like on attitudes more generally Exactly, because I feel like that's something that ties into the other subplots as well. I feel like it's a a theme of the movie. Um, And maybe this is why some fanboys who we would consider sexist were not happy with it, because they felt like it was this political agenda that Ryan brought to the movie. Oh, definitely. 
Yeah, so I think then with Poe, we obviously get that great reaction shot of him looking on as Paige's bomber like sinks into the dreadnought. So he obviously realizes that like the mission was a success, but he also recognizes the cost of that mission. And I think that's a great bit of facial acting from Oscar in that moment because you really do see that in his face, I think. Yeah, it's quite complex because I think like like you, I think he does have that look of like horror. But then when he's talking to Leia, it's almost like he's in a form of denial about it or maybe yeah. he has this attitude of, well, we just need to keep moving um, yeah. because there's so much happening. But um, we don't see him so much accepting the responsibility there. And that's kind of what his arc is about over the course of the film, I think. Yeah. Um, that he thinks leading is just this one thing, but it's it's much more than that. Yeah. But survival as well as victory. <laughs> mm hmm. Yeah. Um, so then the next thing we get with Poe is when he is getting out of his ship and he sees Finn and he rushes over. It's a very like brief like encounter between them, but it's really great to see those characters reunited. Um, obviously Finn is in such a daze that there's not oh. much like substantial <laughs> um, said between them. I think the only thing Finn is interested in is where's Ray in that moment. I'm sure there's much more to that exchange, obviously, that we don't get to see, but Hopefully that's the kind of thing we get more of in the novelization because, yeah, I would like to see more of that Finn-Poe relationship. Yeah, exactly. We can see from that quick exchange that Poe really cares about Finn because Finn's kind of wandering around and people are running past him, but it's only Poe who runs over to help him. Yeah. Um, which makes me kind of mad, but yeah, it's, it's a busy base. Lots is happening, so... Either that or the resistance are assholes. Either that, yeah, yeah, that's a possibility. They just don't care about Finn. Because he is like, he, he is your hero, you know. He helped with Starkiller Base. So. Yeah, exactly. Learn from Rose's example, please. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, and then the scene following on from that with Poe is the one we've touched upon before, where he gets this big old slap from Leia and a demotion. Um, and I remember them talking about this slap um, well before The Last Jedi came out, and there was so much discussion about what he could be getting slapped for. Mm-hmm. I certainly did not get it right. I think I said it had to be something about Kylo, because of course everyone tracked mine. <laughs> um, but it was a very well-deserved slap, in my opinion, and I'm sure Carrie absolutely relished it. Oh yeah, I think Oscar said in an interview one time that she slapped him like over 20 times. <laughs> 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 okay, then she definitely relished it. <laughs> How could you relish yeah. slapping that beautiful face? <laughs> well, it's 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 quite well done because before that we get the the little scene of Leia sitting by herself as the ship comes out of hyperspace, and so then you wonder like what is she reflecting on? Like she could be thinking about all sorts of things because a lot has been happening. She could be thinking about what happened with Han and Ben. Or about how she's about to deal with Poe as someone who she cares very much about, wants to help succeed, but has disappointed her in this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, like slapping him, that's a big deal. And it's probably not an approved military <laughs> protocol. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I think it shows how personal that relationship is. Yeah. So I think she must feel like let down on a very personal level. 
like by his actions because I think in the Poe comic there's that real like mental relationship between Poe and Leia mm-hmm. so that doesn't really come through in The Force Awakens but it's there in the comic and it's obviously there in The Last Jedi in a big big way um, so yeah I do think it's nice that they make that dynamic like almost more than professional there's this real like personal investment in him yeah and I really love some of the dialogue here that um he's like there were heroes on that mission and she says dead heroes no leaders I feel like that really sums it up in a very succinct way yeah yeah you you kind of get her walking away and then this look again on Poe's face so he's like he's starting to think about it and put things together but yeah that i feel like right after that they they come under attack again and then he's asking for permission to get in the x-wing and blow something up which he's just said you can't always do that um <laughs> obviously it's a joke but i don't know depending on how you look at it like do you think it could maybe undermine leia's words to him because he's just like yeah that's what i'm gonna go and do <laughs> i think maybe little because it does come immediately after yeah. Like, so that does kind of feel a bit like, oh, come on, you just had that conversation. <laughs> but then at the same time, it's pretty hard to argue against that as the course of action in that moment, because that does make sense, given that they're being attacked by TIE fighters. So, yeah, you need the X-Wings to go out and fight the TIE fighters. Yeah, I guess that's quite a good way of showing that Poe isn't necessarily wrong. It's just mm. that he can't have the same response to every scenario. He has to yeah. think things through. Um, exactly. Then, I think that's yeah, the like... great thing about this movie because I think some people find it contradictory, but it's not contradictory. It's about me saying that you have to have different responses in different situations. You need to weigh up each situation on its own, like merits or dangers or risks or whatever. You can't just have a blanket response or a single strategy. Yeah, and I think it emphasizes to the audience that Poe hasn't quickly just learned that lesson from a brief exchange with Leia. He's going to almost have to learn it through the experience that that he goes through in the movie itself. Yeah. So it it sets things up nicely, but it's not going to be neatly wrapped up with a bow in the first five minutes. Exactly. So then, obviously, Poe does run off to try and go and jump in his X-Wing, but then the future Supreme Leader destroys it! I'm doing that because Kirsty put those words in block capitals in her notes. <laughs> <That's> so true. <laughs> I um, remember when the trailer came out and you saw um, Kylo like going towards the the hangar in his ship, and I was like, "Oh my god, is he going to blow up Poe's X-wing?" <laughs> but, <laughs> that would be so good, and then it actually did. He was that petty. He's like the best pilot in the Resistance. We'll see. <laughs> Booyah! <laughs> yeah. But rest in like- peace, Tally. Oh, yeah, that was sad. Like, especially, like, Tally's so cute. Like, I love, like, that, like, it's one of the very last things that she does. Like, she's kind of gesturing to another pilot. And mm-hmm. she just has this, like, adorable smile. And she, like, touches her, like, forehead. And it's like, oh, no, Tally, you were too good. <laughs> yeah, Kylo is irrede- irredeemable to me now because it killed Tally. <laughs> <laughs> Tally, my number one fave. And I, I do say that as someone who sincerely likes Tally very much. And I hope we get more about her, to be honest. I'd like to see, like, a comic or, like, a novel. I, I really don't think we're going to get, like, the Tally novel. But then again, there's been, there were, like, a whole bunch of, like, Wedge novels. And Wedge really didn't have that much cumulative screen time. So Yeah, we could get, like, a little young adult thing or a kid's book. Yeah. Like, we got them for Paige, so. Yeah, exactly. So I can hold out hope, like, keep that candle burning for Tally. Um, 
Yeah, and then Poe is obviously blown back by the explosion, and then Finn comes over and is like there for him, um, which I think is nice because it does show that reciprocal relationship still going on. Because there's not really that much that many scenes just between Finn and Poe in this movie, so mm. I do like those little moments where you just see them looking out for each other and helping each other out. Yeah, I love those moments, but I think they do kind of back up what Ryan was saying about why he decided to change. Um, how much time they were going to spend together Mm. because if you want to have the dynamic that we love from them in the force awakens where they're supporting each other and it's all it's all great um you can't have that as like a central relationship right yeah no definitely not um yep then to go back to leia we see leia on the bridge and um her and kylo have this moment of like connection through the force and I really like that how that's done, actually, because it's just very like clean dissolves between their two faces. Mm-hmm. And I think that really does sell the fact that this is mother and son and that they can really feel each other. And I think Carrie did such a great job with those shots as well, because you do get a sense of all the f- emotions that character must have been feeling, because there's like sorrow for like obviously what he's done there's like that love because obviously he's a child and she'll always love him on some level no matter what and then there's like this steely resolve like i'm prepared for whatever happens you know like mm-hmm. you're not going to intimidate me and yeah like i really like it and it's some great soul acting from her and then like kylo on the other end he's so like ah mummy <laughs> 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 you can literally see his heart melting <laughs> Like, yeah chin wobble yeah classic um yeah but then of course kylo cannot take the shot on his mum but the, the his wingmates can and they take fire and destroy the bridge and that obviously sends leia being sucked out into space as like kylo looks on helplessly and it's a really heartbreaking scene i remember when that happened in the cinema i was like what so really thought that was it you know like i believed that that was the end of leia and i was shocked by how early it was and how abrupt it felt and i was like whoa that's cold that's cold so i think logically i should have known that we had shots of her like on crates and like shots of her that were clearly from different parts of the movie but at that point in the film i was just so wrapped up with it that i wasn't like thinking in those terms you know yeah i think that was kind of what was it was designed to be shocking i think um yeah and maybe people expected Kylo to be the one to take the shot, but it still happened anyway. Um, remember really early on in episode eight news, we heard from, I think it was Latino Review, and they said that Leia was going to spend a decent portion of the film in a coma. Yes. And we were like, oh, no, that can't be right. Mm. Like, that really sucks. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it, the story is what it is, and I don't think it's bad at all. Like, I know a lot of people didn't like the execution of her kind of rescuing herself, that doesn't bother me. Um, but it just kind of makes me sad that she was missing for a, such a good portion of the movie. I think Holdo's great. And I yeah. think that was really great for Poe's development. But yeah. selfishly, I'm still like, oh, I wish we could have had more Leia. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking because, of course, like if they'd known that Carrie wasn't going to be able, wasn't going to be in nine, they would have done things differently. Undoubtedly, I think. Because they would have wanted to use her more here. And probably have more stuff with her and Kylo especially. But you you can, like, 
it doesn't work like that. You can never tell whether someone's going to be there or not going to be there, you know. So you kind of just have to write what you think is best given the current circumstances, which of course is what Ryan did. And I do think he told a good story and I think there's very clear justification for everything that happens, mm-hmm. um, which we'll go into when like Leia reemerges and like all the Holdo stuff happens. But I think it's important for the sake of Poe's arc that you take that character that he trusts and respects, who's Leia, off the board and replace her with someone who's more of an unknown quantity who like Poe can be suspicious of and can question the motives of. And that's Holdo. Because, yeah, like Poe, he didn't always listen to Leia, which is bad, but he would never have suspected her of being like an enemy of the Resistance, which he does of Holdo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because really, like Holdo and Leia have similarities in that we know that they grew up together. They both dress amazingly. Mm-hmm. Um, but because, yeah, like you say, she's new to Poe, it's interesting how he's quite skeptical of her. And presumably a a part of that even though it's not explicitly stated is that she is dressed the way she is um but we've seen Leia in this regal attire so it's interesting idea that because he knows Leia that isn't a factor for him but it's it is a factor with Holdo because I feel like that is probably quite an honest look at how these things can be insidious and subconscious Mm. um Exactly. Because I think it's just in the way he says, like, that's Admiral Holdo, you know? It's like, well, what were you expecting? Were you expecting a man? Were you expecting someone um, just in, like, a very plain outfit with a normal hair colour? Like, what mm-hmm. is it about her that's so different? Because what she's saying in that moment when she introduced herself is very authoritative and comforting and supportive of, of people, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like she's behaving in a way that would inspire suspicion yeah no exactly um and i find it interesting that pose like um that's admiral holdo battle of chiron belt admiral holdo so he's clearly heard stories about her and so he clearly knows she's a thing but he obviously had a very different picture of what this person's going to be like in his head compared to what she actually is like and I find it actually interesting to think about how Holdo is presented in the book, Leia, Princess Folderon, as compared to the movie. Because in the book, she's much more openly eccentric. And I do wonder if perhaps at one stage that were more of a thing in the film to kind of like make more sense of like Poe's like bafflement with her and like failure to get her. Because the holder we get in the Leia novel, she is very difficult to get and she's a very peculiar person and you kind of need to get your head around her and what she's up to. Um, but like you, you said, Kirsty, the Holdo as played by Laura Dern, she is like is quite sensible in many ways. The only things that are that bizarre about her are her hair and her manner of dress. And besides that, she's a pretty like straight, sensible character. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting how they presented her differently from how she was in the book. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any thoughts about that? why that might have been? Um, I guess because they didn't want it to just be such a core theme. I, I don't know. Mm. Um, it would have been, for, from my perspective, it might have been more fun for her to look a little more eccentric and and to maybe to have something in her opening speech that, 
raised a few eyebrows just to make yeah. it like a bit clearer that Poe was picking up on something. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, yeah, like you say, it kind of just then hinge on her, her appearance because personality-wise, at that point, there's no reason for him to be suspicious. But yeah, who knows? Yeah. No, it was interesting. Um, but I think yeah. me as well, they're, they're providing contrast with, is it um, Commander Dacey? Is that how you say it? Yes. When, when she's kind of briefing them, and and says like Admiral Akbar is gone, everyone else is gone, and then we have this person to step in. Um, their appearances are in quite stark contrast, I think, because um, they're both you know older women, um, which I I think is fantastic by the way that we don't just have Leia, we have these amazing like middle aged women who are calling the shots. There's yeah. a, there's a there's a great um shot actually. A little later when Poe is following her around and like trying to get the plan out of her where mm. it's just Poe talking to her and there are all female resistance people in the background. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow, he's the only man in that shot. Like, <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be like that exciting to me, but I guess it is. Um, yeah. Like, I, no, I don't like, remember that shot in particular. I'll need to look out for that. It's They're kind of like looking at screens and there's these two younger women behind Poe mm. and he's trying to get up in, in um, Holdo's face and it's just like oh cool they've, they've got women there I recognise this situation <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh goodness um, so yeah like Holdo she like steps up in front of the resistance and she like obviously gives this like speech by basically outlining like her philosophy on leadership and I think it's actually quite beautiful how she expresses it so I'll read it out 400 of us on three ships. We're the very last of the resistance. But we're not alone. In every corner of the galaxy, the downtrodden and oppressed know our symbol, and they put their hope in it. We are the spark that will light the fire that will restore the Republic. That spark, this resistance, must survive. That is our mission. And I think that's really lovely, and I think that actually captures the core sentiment of the film very well. So it is very much a film about survival and about hope and how these like bodies like the Resistance and like the Jedi, they can inspire that hope and that courage to do something to like trigger change, like regardless of how much substance there is to them. So by the end very end of the film, the resistance is down to maybe a few dozen people. But that's not the point. The point is that the resistance is still there and it can still inspire this hope. And I think it's really cool that Holdo comes to be the character who perhaps embodies that sentiment in the purest way. Um, because like Holdo, she doesn't really have an arc in the film. She just is what she is. Mm. And she embodies that spirit of the resistance and she completely gets why the resistance is important and what needs to be done to keep the resistance alive. Because I think... I've seen so many people complain about Holdo not sharing her plans and keeping things from Poe, but I do think in a way you get like what her motives are and what her priorities are with this speech. Mm-hmm. The priority is to survive. Exactly. Yeah, because she, she refers to them as the spark. So yeah. that's only like a small thing that if it stays, you know, you keep that lit, it mm. will eventually become the restoration of the Republic and that's the end goal and they have to have this insight. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to me. Like, what do you think about this? She says we are the spark that will light the fire that will restore the republic, mm. and then Poe is kind of playing with that sentiment at the end, but also kind of subverting it when he he emphasizes that it's about burning down the first order. 
Mm. What do you think about that? That's really interesting. I hadn't actually thought about that direct comparison. I had recognised that they both used that term, the spark, but he hadn't read, quite registered that Holdo was about the spark restoring the Republic and Poe was about burning down the First Order. Yeah. I, I think that's actually a great observation and I think maybe that indicates that like Poe perhaps has things left to learn. I, I'm not saying that the First Order is great and needs to survive, but... Like it's like what Pet Rose says. At the exactly, end, that's the what it feeds Jedi. into. Yeah, it's about saving what you love, not destroying what you hate. Like I know I'm butchering her words, but that's the sentiment. And yeah, what Poe says at the end, while he does have the right idea in almost all respects, he still has one key thing wrong. And the key thing he has wrong is that he's still focused on destroying something, not building something. And yeah, I think that's what he needs to learn. And maybe that's what Ray can ultimately be about in episode nine. She can be about creating something new and positive and good rather than just focusing on destruction and war and yeah. Yeah, I think it will be interesting to see what the First Order stands for now that we have Supreme Leader Kylo Ren and how yes. that plays into this. Because presumably there's going to be something in his ruling that's different from how Snoke ruled, even though we yeah. didn't get too much information on that because the overall politics of the, the trilogy has been very lacking so far. It hasn't yes. been a core focus, but I feel like it's going to be for Nine, yeah. um, at least in terms of the character's ideologies. So, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see how these lines and how they the various characters play with them feeds into the, the theme for the next movie. Because I, yeah. I think you're right that it's it's consciously supposed to connect to what rose says um and that they all have to make choices in terms of what they stand for like even kylo right that he's so fixated on destroying luke and the jedi it's like well what are you trying to build instead yeah exactly because kylo was creating something beautiful and productive and positive in terms of creating that relationship with ray but then obviously it all came to be about let's destroy this and this and this and it'll be awesome. Uh. And obviously that's a big turn off. So <laughs> yeah, that went wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's fascinating. And I think the more you look at the script and the more you notice these parallels, you realise how intricately constructed it is. Because I don't think things like that end up in there by accident. Yeah, I think it's that Ryan had these clear ideas of the overall themes of the movie and then used the characters and their arcs to express that in all these different ways, but they all come together to create something whole. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I think it's really powerful. And it leaves things in a really tantalising place for JJ in episode 9, so I really hope he's going to run with it. And I'm sure he will. Like, obviously he's not going to run with absolutely every little thing because, yeah, there's too much. But, yeah, I'm sure he'll pick up on some of these core themes and like perpetuate them because yeah they're part of the fabric of the middle chapter now so it wouldn't make sense to drop them completely mm -hmm. then pretty much af pretty much straight after a holder gives her speech like poe goes and like chases her down for like a more private conversation um like holdo's like trying to like sort out plans with daisy um and yeah poe's basically like bothering her <laughs> 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 I love this part. Yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, so do you want to be Poe and I can be Holdo? <laughs> sure. Okay, I, I, do you want to start from Vice Admiral? Yeah. Vice Admiral? Commander Dameron. With our current fuel consumption, there's a very limited amount of time that we can stay out of range for those Star Destroyers. Very kind of you to make me aware. 
Let's get me those fuel productions. And we need to shake them before we can find a new base, so what's our plan? Our plan, Captain? Not Commander, right? Wasn't it Leia's last official act to demote you for your dreadnought plan when we, where we lost our entire b- bombing fleet? Captain, Commander, you can call me whatever you like. I just want to know what's going on. Of course you do. I understand. I've dealt with plenty of trigger-happy flyboys like you. You're impulsive, dangerous, and the last thing we need right now. So stick to your post and follow my orders. (laughs) (laughs) And I love this because everything that is covered here, this exemplifies why Holdo does not share plans with him. Exactly. It's (laughs) like he's not really giving her any confidence here in terms of, oh, this seems like someone who's very measured and calm and respects like his place on the pecking scale. Like he's just. Yeah. Um... And And he really doesn't come across as someone who respects her, to be honest, in this moment. Because he does point out things that are flagrantly obvious. Oh my like god, I know. Conception. This is the closest... I mean, this is the biggest example of what we can consider mansplaining in the movie, right? <laughs> I know with the, yes. Finn, the Finn discussion, I was kind of pointing out how he walks in front of Rose as she's trying to explain something to Poe, which is not quite the same thing, and I think it's subconscious. Um, but this is like, you really feel like you need to explain this to an admiral? Yeah. Come on. Come on, Poe. Yeah, it's really bad. And if I were Holder, I'd be pissed at him too. And like, I think people act like Holdo withholds this information like out of pettiness. No way. But, it's like, yeah. This is an important plan that requires some stealth and planning. Exactly. And I hate to say it, but the moment Poe does have a piece of like privileged information, he like blurts it out to Finn and Rose over the intercom, DJ over his... And then that directly results in all the shuttles that are trying to go down to crate being attacked. Exactly. And that's all because of Poe's lack of judgment and in just in just sharing this information when it really should have been kept top secret and close to his chest. And the very fact that he's blurting that out proves that Holdo should never have told him this plan in the first place. Which, yeah. Yeah, it's madness considering that he knows at that point that they're with the Codebreaker, who is not a member of the Resistance. Yeah. And he just says it like it's not classified information that could kill people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is kind of why people struggle with it as like a narrative decision. Because I think we're so used to watching our heroes be right. For the most part, obviously, heroes also make mistakes and get into trouble sometimes. But we're, we're really not used to seeing them make such bad errors of judgment with such serious consequences. And I think that can lead to like quite uneasy feelings. It's like, did Poe really do that? Like, and I think often it means people just don't even register it as a thing. Like, all the anger and all the like resentment is directed at characters like Holdo, who are considered like outsiders, and because they're like opposed to Poe, who's the hero, who's the person we identify with and like, rather than actually thinking through the chain of events and thinking. Oh, actually, it's probably Poe who's responsible in this situation, actually. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, um, but watching Holdo and Poe interact here, I was identifying hardcore with Holdo because I can't even count how many times I've been mansplained to in terms of like something <laughs> that I absolutely know or the person speaking to me should know that I know, but mm. for whatever reason, they feel the need to act like I don't. Yeah. So that was really cool to see that, to be honest. Yeah. 
No, I really, really liked Holdo. And yeah, I I think I definitely saw things from her perspective more than Poe's. Yeah, I mean, the beauty of it is that you see it from both, right? Because Poe is kind of the protagonist of this arc. So you can sympathize with him to an extent because he's panicking. He knows that they're in danger. But you can also see that he's really making terrible errors here. Yeah. And, and probably going to make things worse by going in without thinking things through. Yeah, exactly. It makes me um, curious to see, I don't know if we'll ever get this in Slide Material, but like, what did uh, Holdo think of Han when Leia and Han got together? Because she's talking yeah. about like, oh yeah, I've seen your type before, trigger happy flyboys, impulsive, dangerous. It's like, that could <laughs> describe Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do kind of get the impression that she has a thing for them though as well. So when you think oh, yeah. about how she looks at Poe and he's like unconscious at the end, she's like, I like him. <laughs> I think um, Oscar Isaac has said in interviews that there's meant to be this like flirtatious element and I saw it from the first time, but... I know everyone had Canon's characters differently, so that's not going to be something that everyone likes or picks up on. Yeah, Poldo. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not like shipping it, but I can see where people <laughs> see it because it's there, right? When she's like, "Ooh, dangerous!" It's like supposed to be that she kind of finds him amusing. Yeah. So then things move on, and we get to a scene where Finn and Rose are explaining their infiltration plan to Poe, and. <laughs> This whole conversation is really like convoluted and full of techno bubbles, so I'm not going to read it out. Doesn't but... it make Poe seem a bit of an idiot? Yes. It's like, give it to me one more time. Simpler. <laughs> oh, so we'll blow that one up. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> How many times do you need to learn that that is not the answer? Yeah, it does kind of I'm going to get my you... X-Wing and blow something up again. <laughs> It does kind of make it seem like um, Poe is like the working intelligence of six-year-olds. <laughs> Which usually he does not, but it's just played up here for comedic value that, that Finn is like trying to explain to him that they have this super stealth mission and he's like, but we're going to blow it up, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's one of those like scenes where it serves lots of purposes because I think like the core narrative purpose is trying to get the audience to understand because... Maybe I'm a bit dumb, but the first time when like Finn and Rose were talking about it amongst themselves, I was like, I have no idea what you're saying. Oh, because <laughs> yeah, Rose understand. is like this big nerd when it comes to this stuff, right? And because Finn grew up in that environment, it's almost second nature to him. So they're both kind of talking to each other very excitedly and fast. And then they have mm. to have this follow up with Poe where, like you say, it's like, okay, what now? Like we need to have it spelled out to us a bit more but because yeah. Poe's kind of the avatar for the audience he just looks a bit clueless and he's exactly. like oh okay now I'm starting to get it it's like in Doctor Who where you have the companion character yeah and the companion is typically like an unscientific like hip street person um who like doesn't know anything about like how the TARDIS works because then they ask all the questions that the audience wants to know because yeah we need that because otherwise we don't have a clue what's going on <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So then, what happens after the elaborate explanation is that Poe is um, Poe hooks them up with Mars, who then like recommends the Master Codebreaker, and there's not really that much character stuff for Poe in that whole part of it because he's really just passing them on. I do wonder how um. Poe and Miles like know each other though. Yeah, that's a good point actually, because 
it's Han that has the connection with her in TFA, but do we know that Leia has such a strong relationship with her? I guess there was stuff in The Force Awakens that actually ended up getting cut, right? That Maz was going to be at the base. Yeah. That okay, was that, be a whole that actually thing. does fit a lot better. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe it's kind of like a bit of a leftover. So Ryan wrote his script when Maz was still going to be on the Resistance base at the end of The Force Awakens. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing where... Well, it's there, and it's not like it's a huge contradiction or doesn't make sense. You know, like people can fill in the gaps themselves. Exactly. To extent, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a huge issue. Um, is there anything else we want to say about that whole exchange, where they're talking about the plan and Mars and everything? Um, I guess there's the part where he goes over to Leia and holds her hand. Like it's obviously mm-hmm. emphasizing that relationship again. Um, and that. Oh, what does Finn say? Well. Mm. yeah it'll save the fleet and it'll save ray i think that's when poe's holding her hand and it's like okay this is what we need we need survival we need to i think he's like looking at leia and thinking that it's kind of on him now because to all intents and purposes in this part of the story she's gone and he sees himself as the future of the resistance um and i guess that means that he's going to go around holdo and just not involve her which is Again, pretty bad, Pearl. Yeah, pretty bad. Oh, C-3PO, he's like, if I must be the sole voice of reason, Holder will yeah. never agree to this plan. <laughs> I I do really like C-3PO in this film. He obviously really has a very minor part, but he's almost like the like prim proper kid, like in a school, who's kind of like tangentially connected to like this like clique of like kids who are up to no good, mm-hmm. and he really doesn't want to be involved, but he kind of is because of the company he keeps, and he's just intensely distressed by this. Yeah, it's like he has the obligation to point out that they're making the wrong choices, but he doesn't have any control. So yeah. Exactly. I do think it's also interesting how Poe says it's a need to know plan and she doesn't. Like, that to me is petty. Like, because, like, Holdo withholding stuff from Poe, that's like part of her strategy. Her strategy is keeping things very close to her chest because she knows how crucial this information is for the survival of the resistance. She doesn't have any reason to trust Poe. Like, whereas Poe. He really should know that the Admiral, the person currently in control of the Resistance, has a right to be consulted about these kinds of missions. Well, because later he does tell her about it, right? When she's yeah. like, a stormtrooper in a who now? And it's like, if you had explained it to her earlier, she might have been more understanding or on board. But at this point, it just looks like, I don't know, you, you did what you did. You totally went around the, the chain of command. Yeah, exactly. He only told her when it was too late for her to change anything. Yeah. Oh, Poe. Naughty boy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then Connick, she's kind of like um, an enabler, (laughs) if you will, of Poe's descent, because she's very much on Poe's side. And yeah, she kind of like helps Finn and Rose like escape in their pod right under Holdo's nose. Yeah. so yeah, she's another one of like the rebellious clique, if you will. <laughs> I like the kind of conspiratorial, even though it's mostly unsaid, the way Connix is like looking at Poe, who's in the corner, and then he nods. It is, like you say, these kids who have this plan. Yeah. And he's trying to execute it under the adults' noses. Um, it's pretty fun. Um, oh, you're pesky kids. 
Yeah, and then we we cut back to the resistance plot for just a few seconds, and you have Connex saying, "Admiral, fuel reserves at six hours," and then it's just Holdo saying, "Maintain maintain our current course, steady on." Um, so it's kind of just saying like, it's kind of just keeping the audience up to speed, right, with that side of the yeah. plot while other stuff is going on in the the different elements of the story. Yeah, you just like check back in with them occasionally just to be reminded that they're a thing that they're there because i think kind of like after the first third there is like a real dip in terms of like poe and holdo screen time for the second third of the film and then in the final act like basically from the point at which like poe attempts that mutiny then things ramp up again for those characters and you see more of them Mm -hmm. yeah i mean at this point, you have Poe saying, Finn, Rose, where are you guys? It kind of emphasizes how the plan means that he's sort of sitting there helpless. Yeah. So he's like seeing Holdo just continue what she's doing. And he doesn't understand what she's doing. And he's getting more and more amped up, which feels yeah. their next interactions where he's just, he gets really angry. Yeah, exactly. And I expect that's a very unusual situation for Poe to be so helpless because he is such a man of action he is always like in the cockpit and i think ryan mentioned that one of the big challenges for poe in this film is that he is not allowed to be in his cockpit because his x-wing was literally blown up by (laughs) future supreme leader kylo ren (laughs) so yeah he has no choice but to just sit down and watch and wait as other people do things and that's clearly very frustrating and very difficult for him and something he needs to get used to and become more comfortable with so yeah, the next time that we jump back to Poe, um, Ray and Finn are on their way to the Supremacy, obviously for very different reasons, um, <laughs> and Poe is starting to confront Holdo again. Um, so he says to Daisy, she in there? And then like he's told that he's been banned from the bridge, which is a pretty big mm. deal, right? Because at that point, things have obviously escalated to kind of justify that from Holdo's side. Yeah, I do wonder if there's deleted scenes where we see more of like the tension and like that actually being like enacted or something well that's probably a bit redundant because this tells us all we need to know yeah i guess and then we have that cute exchange where she says fly boy and he says cut it lady (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness i think that is more explicitly like if you've got to call her lady like that uh, (laughs) come on it's a bit on the nose in terms of what they're going for yeah that does have a bit of a sexist undertone and then I, I just think it's funny that she's still kind of calling Flyboy as like this playful thing. Mm. And he's just like, no, I'm not having any of it. You have to take me seriously. This is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's like a six-year-old stomping. No, I am important. <laughs> you will listen to me. Rah! Yeah, because at this point, doesn't he, once he realizes what she's doing with the transports or thinks he realizes, um, he starts like kicking things and throwing things around, right? <laughs> he does, yes. Oh, dear. <laughs> Yeah, toxic masculinity. <laughs> I think that was actually one of the like triggering like articles I saw. Like, is like Poe Dameron the epitome of toxic masculinity in the last? <laughs> okay, I mean this stuff. I know it gets like difficult for people, especially with characters they really love. Mm. But and especially with you know, we're getting to like peak annoying buzzword clickbait article stuff. Like that's just kind of what it's like. But. Yeah. I do think there's this element and maybe we shouldn't use the term toxic masculinity because it is this like really loaded thing. Mm. But I think there is supposed to be this element of it at work with various characters in the story. Yes. 
and I, I, it's been a word that's associated a lot with Kylo, especially like because he was the villain in The Force Awakens and the other male characters by comparison, that wasn't part of their arcs or characterization just yet because as we've talked about, Poe was kind of like this flawless male hero. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do think there's an aspect of it there. Um, and with Kylo, it's not an aspect I prefer to focus on because if people have listened to the show for a while, it's clear that I identify with the character and I really love him. And there's a lot more going on. It's not just like that's supposed to be this primary thing necessarily, although it is what some people see as the main thing in the character. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I think we'd both acknowledge that it's there. It's just there's so much to him that we choose to focus on other aspects. Yeah. I mean, because we talked a long time ago, we talked about how Ryan Johnson had been reading Robert Bly. Um, in preparation yes. for The Last Jedi. And that's what his poetry deals with as a, as a core theme. Um, like this idea of men in modern society struggling to embrace the feminine aspects of their self. Yes. Um, so that's very Jungian. And you can see how that fits with like the original trilogy and the prequels. Um, yeah. and, and as we've talked about, you can see it in Poe and even to a lesser extent Finn's arc in The Last Jedi. Yeah. So... I think there is supposed to be this element to it with their interactions with Leo, L- Leo, Leia, <laughs> Holdo, and Rose, um, mm. and yeah, it, it shapes their arc across the story and their understanding of the world and their role in it. Because Poe, he's really portrayed here as kind of this hothead, right, who rushes into these situations um, and judges Amalyn. Yes. Um, and yeah, it does damage. Like it's not presented as this heroic thing. Yeah, no, so I think it's interesting because in many ways the film takes what would traditionally be considered virtues in like a masculine character, like assertiveness and like defiance of authority and a devil may care attitude. And like it actually questions those attributes and like asks, well, actually, how useful is it to have a character with these kinds of qualities in this sort of situation? And the answer is not very useful, you know? And I think that's very interesting and very brave of them to do it like that. And I think that's part of the reason, to be frank, why the film's been so controversial. So I do think it's hard to stomach when we've had decades of stories telling us that those are all the qualities that heroes should possess and that's how they should behave, you know. And then suddenly to have those personality traits questioned and put under the spotlight, like is the case in The Last Jedi, there is something a bit disquieting about that if you're not prepared for subversion in that way. Yeah. I mean, we can't know, again, we keep saying this, we can't know what JJ's going to do with Nine. But I think Mm. in terms of overarching themes of the story, especially when it comes to Kylo and how these other characters' arcs feed into that, I feel like it might end up being a theme of the entire trilogy, this idea of, like, redeeming from that toxic masculinity. Because yes. I've seen a lot of people, and I feel like this was a big thing in The Force Awakens, which is why people were so happy to see this feminist heroine taking down the villain, right? Because mm. that was very satisfying. But because it was the first part, you knew there was going to be more to it. Yes. Um, and I feel like it will be a, a kind of about dismantling that element of masculinity, but ultimately in a way that is healing and redemptive, as yes. opposed to destroying. Um, yeah. So... Our friend Nat at Meta Machina has, has written quite a few essays on this now. But I just, I feel like it's almost like this meta commentary on the Star Wars fandom as well. Mm, that definitely. There's this kind of toxic masculine element of the Star Wars fandom. And they're trying to bring in more of these female fans and LGBT fans and fans of color and just 
say, hey, there are other stories within this universe that we can tell and you shouldn't feel threatened by it. Yeah. That you can be a part of it and it's okay. And I, I'm hoping that that's ultimately what episode nine will be about, that kind of reconciliation. But it makes yeah. sense for why The Last Jedi has been so controversial on that meta level. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I'd agree with all of that. That's what I basically hope the story will prove to be about. Because, yeah, for me, Star Wars is about hope and redemption and love and for compassion and blah, 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 all those good things. And, yeah, I think if the ultimate message is the best way to defeat toxic masculinity is to destroy the toxic males. I, I don't think that's a good way of doing that. And I think even The Last Jedi with Poe, the whole arc of it is showing a character who obviously is nowhere near as evil as Kylo Ren. It's not Poe isn't evil at all, but he does show some of those like more negative masculine traits. Like in in like which is also what Kylo does, he just expresses them differently and also is used to express different qualities from Poe. Um but the whole point of Poe is not well we're just gonna lock him up and throw away the keys, he's no good now, is he? It's all about teaching him and rehabilitating him so that he can actually grow and become a better person and a good leader you know and yeah hopefully we're going to see that continued yeah it's the notion of the story being about like a, almost a lesson for the audience in terms of it, it's it's mythology right so there's this element of parable or fable or whatever to it where people mm. come away having seen these these characters mess up um but also learn from it so you can yeah. take away from it something that will better your own life so exactly right yeah. Oh wow, we were talking about that for a while. I kind of forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, so we um, got to Lady, and yeah, cool. I can continue from here. Okay. Um, yeah. So then, basically, Poe realizes that Holdo is fueling up the transports to, like, take the remaining members of the Resistance off the ship. And yeah, he doesn't fully understand what this plan involves or what the rationale behind it is. Um, and he believes that Holdo is basically dooming the resistance with this like choice because the cruisers because the shuttles are unarmed and they're basically defenseless against the first order. And yeah, he calls Holdo a traitor, and then like Holdo demands to have him tr- taken off the bridge. And then Poe active actually calls Finn, and. <laughs> He does what we mentioned earlier and spills the beans about the plan as DJ listens on. And I cringe so hard at this. Did you realise what was going on with this the first time you saw it, Kirsty? Did you notice DJ overhearing? I didn't because at that point, you're not really sure what's going on with DJ, right? So I think it is the kind of thing that at first you're like, oh, well, if he's a good guy, it should be okay. Like in an ideal world, Poe would be able to say it and trust him. But yeah. Obviously, you can't. Yeah, exactly. It's like a series of unfortunate events in many ways. It's <laughs> like, well, if hot, if DJ hadn't been there, then maybe. But yeah, it's just like if this one little aspect of the story changes. But I think life is a lot like that in many ways. It's this weird confluence of events and characters and situations. And you can never really predict how those pieces will fit together and the end result is usually a bit messy and complicated, which I think is very true in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
all of the ways they've had to compromise along the way of this plan, like Poe saying, did you find the master code breaker? And they're like, well, we found a code breaker. It's like, yeah. this plan is not going well. But at that point, even even with that, and um, that they've got DJ instead of Justin Theroux's character, um, they can't anticipate how much of a disaster it's going to be by the end. Yeah. And I think when you see Poe respond to the realisation that, oh Christ, they haven't even got the person they were meant to find. I think his reaction to that indicates that he's actually in that moment starting to question the viability of his own plan. He is already having that self-doubt. And I think that's important because he does come to that realisation on his own to a certain extent. It's not just about him having to be taught that lesson by other people. He gets to realise the level of his failure through his own experience it doesn't just need to be pointed out yeah exactly it's more satisfying for us and it's more meaningful for the character that he does kind of have to experience that right so i mean that's that's very relatable in itself like you can be told things um but until you've lived through it and had to suffer the consequences of those things it's it's hard to learn lessons sometimes exactly i've seen it kind of debated as to whether poe really does suffer the consequences um, mm. because he he's not really held accountable for the deaths of the bombers at the and the bomber what do you call them? Well, uh bomber pilots? I guess, yeah. Um I guess it, he suffers a demotion. Mm. Um but what 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 else are they gonna do really? Like that's something that he kind of has to term come to terms with on a personal level that he was yeah. in part responsible for that, but they're not gonna like lock him in a jail cell or anything. Exactly. The resistance is so gutted, they need everyone they can get. (laughs) You could probably do a lot, to be honest, and still be a functional member of the resistance, because, yeah, people are in short supply. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so then the next time we see Poe, I think he's clearly acting on that self-doubt and realising, oh god, I I think maybe I need to fess up and (laughs) explain what I'm doing. Um, because he actually goes to Holdo and he tells her what Finn and Rose are up to. And yeah, so he tells Holdo, you have to give Finn and Rose all the time that you can. And then Holdo says, you've bet the survival of the Resistance on bad odds and put us all at risk. There's no, there's no time now. We have to get clear of the cruiser, load the transports. So she's angry with Poe for having like embarked upon that plan in the first place. And of course, she doesn't want to take Poe's advice because... Yeah, she's already enacting her own plan, which is clearly superior. (laughs) Um, And yeah, she's not interested in it. And yeah, this is actually what initiates Poe's little mutiny. Uh, So yeah, what did you think about Poe throwing a mutiny, Kirsty? I suppose we saw it coming. It was all building Mm -hmm. up to this point, but he's just... Oh, it's like even as you're watching him do it, it's like he comes across as so cocky and he's still not willing to give her the benefit of the doubt and he expected yeah. her to just buy his plan like this is the first time she's hearing it and they're at this point and what he expected her to go oh my hero i'm so glad that you came up with this incredible plan <laughs> behind my back and defied orders and <laughs> oh thank god <laughs> yeah definitely not how it was gonna go and it and it is so unlikely when you explain the plan it's like okay so you've just got these two people running through the supremacy and you're just gonna hope for the best like that's it yeah Exactly. It really sounds like a crappy plan when you report when you repeat it to any sane person. <laughs> <sighs> um, 
Yeah, and again, it's interesting to see how on board with um, Poe Connix is, because she's right there alongside him, like, um, helping him with this. <laughs> and I do find it interesting that um, it's not like all the resistance are clearly on one side or the other. So I think it would have been easy to make it quite simplistic. Like, all the resistance are with Poe against the evil Holdo, but it's not like that at all. There's just a few individuals who are probably like Poe's friends mm-hmm. who are with him. And then, then, and then the others, they're either with Holdo or they're just kind of like a bit confused and in between both of them and just wonder <laughs> what the hell these idiots are doing. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder if it's supposed to be kind of this generational divide because Connix is obviously very young too. And then you have Commander Dacey on Holdo's side. Yes. Um, yeah, do you think that's supposed to be part of it? Yeah, I definitely think that could be part of it. Um, like there's this idea of like wisdom like coming with experience and the older you are you have like more like advice that is to be trusted and taken into account in these sorts of situations um i have actually seen like an interesting critique which is kind of like this film has a strange message in that it's kind of telling you to unquestioningly accept the orders of your superiors but i i don't get that like, I don't think it's about saying this is the blanket response to any situation. I think it's just advocating for a bit more trust in certain situations. And, I mean, they are yeah. the military. And mm. again, it's not like obey every order, but it's just that she doesn't consider him someone who needs to know the plan. Yes. Because he was also just demoted, but even had that not happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they just have different leadership styles as well because, yeah, maybe Leia would share the plan with Poe, but Holdo's a different person and she doesn't feel like she needs to do that. So, And she doesn't know Poe. Exactly. She doesn't really have a reason to tell him. Like, I know in yeah. a perfect world she would, but then we don't have a movie. Yeah, and then we next see Poe when like the mutiny's continuing. And it's actually really funny <laughs> um, because C-3PO is obviously freaking out um, because, yeah, he's just too good for this whole situation and he doesn't like being caught up with all this bad business. Um, and I love Poe's response to um, 3PO saying, Admiral Holdo is looking for you. He's like, yeah, we spoke. <laughs> and of course he means, yeah, I mutinied on her. <laughs> but he's not going to express it like that. Yeah, Poe is constantly dismissive of 3PO, I guess. Yeah, like, he oh, really has you no again. time for that. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very hand solo reaction to 3PO, I must say. True, yeah. <laughs> Good instinct, 3PO. Go with that. <laughs> <sighs> um, yeah, and then the end result to this whole mutiny scene is that Poe realises at the last moment that um, Finn and Rosa failed and he says they didn't make it. And that's obviously like his moment of realization. Holy crap! This whole endeavor on my part it failed, and that's clearly the exact moment it hits him. And that's also the moment when the door bursts open and Leia appears. <laughs> she gets out a blaster and she fires at him, and it's the most funny thing. Every time I saw it in the theaters, I laughed, and I could swear I was the only one who laughed. So I felt like a weirdo, but it was still <laughs> totally worth it. Um, and I think the best part is Connix and the others like holding up their hands. Like, oh no, mum's found us. Especially because <laughs> Connix is literally Billy Lord, so Carrie's daughter. True. Yeah, I love it. 
I think the best part is that when he realizes that it's Leia, he's like, oh, Leia. And then she does the thing that Holdo would have probably done too. Because yes. like, he's expecting Leia to have a radically different attitude to Holdo and be on his side. Mm. Um, maybe he doesn't know that they have this you know, long-standing relationship. Or maybe he does, but just thinks that Holdo is so misguided at this moment that Leia would be on his side. But mm. it's just kind of funny because it's such a a strong action from Leia um, yes. that maybe the audience is surprised by it just as much as he is. Yeah. No, I definitely think it's meant to be surprising because I think there's a case to be made for as the audience member up until this point, you are meant to be on Poe's side to a certain extent and you're meant to see Holdo as a villain who's kind of like obstructing him and antagonizing him unfairly. And then when Leia turns up and you actually realize, oh crap, Leia and Holdo, they have this friendship and they trust each other like this. You then see this whole, then you see it from a completely different perspective that you didn't get before. Yeah, I wonder if a lot of the pushback has been from people who didn't read Leia, so didn't realize that Holdo and Leia had this relationship until this point in the movie. Because going into the movie, having read that book, you do have quite a different perspective, right? Yeah. I definitely think it affects your viewing of the film. Because I think if I hadn't known how she was with Leia when they were young girls, I think I might have been more on the, oh, I wonder if Holdo's a villain train. Mm. So, yeah, like it is interesting. And there's a good example of how the books and the films can interact in an interesting way. Yeah. I really love this scene between Holdo and Leia. Yes, absolutely. It's such a lovely, lovely scene. And... Like, as someone with lots of really lovely, wonderful f- friendships with other women, like it's so, so nice to see that depicted on screen like this and given like such reverence and like written so well. You know, the dialogue between them is just beautiful. Can we read it out, Kirsty? Sure. Who do you want to be? Uh, I think I was Holdo before, so I'll be that again. Okay. This is fun. <laughs> that one's a troublemaker. I like him. Me too. Now, time to board your transport. For the transports to escape, someone needs to stay behind and pilot the cruiser. Too many losses. I can't take any more. Sure you can. You taught me how. May, May the, the force, force be... be... <laughs> you go on. I've said it enough. May the force be with you, always. And I love that. It's just such a little brief encounter, but... It's so nice and you do get that sense of those many years of friendship and like loyalty and like camaraderie between them. And I just think it's lovely and yeah, I think you can feel Carrie's hand in it as well because I know that she like went over her own dialogue and helped to like fine tune things. And I think there's just something really nice and naturalistic about it and I think that comes through very well in the performances. Like when they both laugh when they're talking at the same time. I think that's just wonderful. Yeah, and I feel like when Holdo says, you taught me how, that's something that, again, if you've read Leia, you kind of have a different reading on it because she could be just referring to people like Han, Ben, and Luke. But Mm. from that book, we know that um, Amalyn was there when Leia lost Kia. So Mm. I I wonder if that's supposed to be a little bit of a reference to that. That's a really good point. I wasn't thinking about that, but that could well be it. And if so, that's wonderful. (laughs) I like times like that. Yep, so next time we see um, the characters who we are talking about today, um, it is Leia, and she's with Poe when he's waking up on the transport as they're going towards Crate. 
and it's finally explained to Poe what the hell's going on. <laughs> and yeah, like so he has this moment of like dawning realization about what Poe about what Holdo was up to the whole time. And I actually think it's interesting to consider would Poe's response to this plan have been different if he'd heard about it earlier? Because obviously at this point he's only hearing about it when there's absolutely no choice in the situation. They are going down to crate. You know, there's no going back at this point. Mm. And I can't help but think that if Holder had told him this was the plan right from the off, he'd have probably still had problems of it because he probably would have still construed thought of this as quite a cowardly way of doing things. And he would have preferred a more assertive way. Like, like he would have preferred a more assertive plan like the one that he cooks up with Finn and Rose. And so I kind of still think that there's a good chance he would have just gone his own way anyway because he wouldn't have thought the plan was good. What do you think? I do wonder that because when he finds out about the transports that she's loading them up, it's like, well, they would have been going somewhere. Mm. Like, what does he expect the end goal to be there? It's not like they just get on them and then wait to be blown up. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that they have this non-combative strategy here, whereas he's very much about blowing things up going after the first order and burning everything down um so yeah and it's probably also the fact that it's layer explaining it to him too like it's not it's not holdo it's someone different who he trusts but um yeah i think he does have this moment of realization when leia says holdo knew that the first order was tracking the big ship um they're not monitoring for the transports i think he's like oh so yeah this would have worked from the beginning yeah no, I but, think he definitely accepts it in this moment. It's just an interesting what-if situation. How might the story gone differently if he'd known this before? I, I'm not sure it would have gone that differently. That's why I'm curious to consider it. Yeah, and if if he had... like, I mean, the big thing is that, yes, they slipped down to the surface, but at that point, the First Order already know that they're going to do that and they're going to crate. So Yeah. Exactly, it's all about to go wrong. Yeah. So I wonder then. what Commander Daisy thinks of him in that moment. She's like explaining what crate is. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's you. I guess it's about time we tell you the plan, but it's a little late. <laughs> yeah, Daisy actually seems like quite pieced out with Poe. <laughs> like she's made a piece of it. Maybe she thinks he's hot too, and it's like, ah, oh, it's all fine. At least you're pretty. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she doesn't seem to bear any long-standing resentment towards him which is very noble of her yeah she's professional yeah i might be a bit more bitter a bit more bitter in that scenario to be (laughs) honest um yeah so then the next key thing that happens is that obviously the first order they start firing on the transports because yeah dj (laughs) curse you dj um and then Holdo realizes that she has to do something to stop them. So she doesn't just like try to trick them by trying to keep the cruiser moving. She actively turns the ship around to ram it into them at light speed. And it's been talked about a lot, but I don't think we've really discussed it before. But it's one of the most stunningly beautiful moments in all of Star Wars, I think. Just the execution is so, so perfect. The combination of the silence and those visuals... It's just magic. It's so good. Yeah, it's really gorgeous. And people seem to gasp every time. Um, Mm. It's really striking. And you can tell from the reactions of Hux and the other members of the First Order that it's like, it's kind of unprecedented. 
right? Because I've seen a lot of people say, well, if this is successful, why doesn't this happen all the time? But mm. I can't imagine that this would be a very common thing people would want to do. It's kind of like this is a really dire situation and this is the one thing they could do to make this sacrifice. And it's something exactly. that no one would have asked Holdo to do this. She's taken it upon herself. Yeah. It's like a, a bizarre question to ask, to be honest, because it's like saying, well, why don't we get planes to fly into other planes routinely as part of a battle strategy? <laughs> and it's like, there are many reasons why we don't do that. <laughs> Not least of all, because planes are very, very expensive and they can be used for other things for the most part. And Yeah. No, it is a last ditch <laughs> resort. It's not something that you should do as part of your strategy, typically speaking. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I think it's interesting that, like, just before Holdo does it, when they see that the cruiser is turning, Connick says to Poe, she's running away. And then at that moment, Poe actually presumably sees Holdo in a truly different light for the first time because he actually understands her motive. He's clearly taken on board what Leia was saying to him about like Holdo's values and how she really valued the resistance and knew it had to survive all that sort of thing um, because he corrects her and realises that no, she's actually facing the First Order and she's going to confront them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really powerful. And yeah, not just for Holdo but for Poe as well. Yeah. Exactly. It's a real feat of bravery to witness. What do you think about the suggestion that it should have been Akbar in that ship, Kirsty? I do not even know what to say to that. <laughs> should we also have had the, a, an emotional scene between Leia and Akbar where they like hold each other's hands and <laughs> Are you taught me Oh you're <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, because I think one of our mutual blogs like active actually like, wrote out how that scenario would have gone down if like it had been between Akbar and Leia. And it's like his enormous like flippers like encase her hands. <laughs> <laughs> like Akbar was always a very minor side character, so it's why would at this point would you expect him to come in and be a hero? Yeah, I think it's bizarre. I think it's just the way that in Star Wars, because the fandom is such a vast, vast thing, people build up all these tiny side characters. And so there's kind of this perception from the fans that they're much more significant and much more important to the story than they actually are. Because Akbar was never really that important. He was just like the comical alien dude who said, It's a trap! <laughs> yeah, I guess the popularity of that as a meme. Yeah, and I like Akbar. I don't mean to like decry Akbar, but I just didn't need like a big emotional goodbye scene or like Akbar to be the focal point of this heroic sacrifice. I, I prefer it to be a human <laughs> who can actually emote and does not have big glass eyeballs that <laughs> look like a dead fish because Akbar's a fish. I do think it's cool that we got more Mon Calamari in Rogue One. Like that was a nice yes. nod, you know? Um yeah. But yeah, the suggestion that he could just slip into Holdo's role and it wouldn't change anything is absolutely ludicrous. I think people maybe don't know how movies work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> We're going to replace our Oscar nominee, Laura Dern, with a fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, The Shape of Water was very popular this year. So. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Um. Yeah, so then the crew, the, that is the surviving shuttles, 
make it down to the surface of Crate and we get a beautiful shot of Leia looking pensive like at the door with um the coat collar pulled up around her face. And I've got to say, again, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but the costumes for Leia, they're so fantastic in this film. Michael Kaplan really did carry her service because she looked beautiful. Yeah, I loved this. I think in the um, Art of the Last Jedi book, it says that there were various influences. Like, obviously, there's the Blade Runner thing, but also a lot of what she was wearing was supposed to evoke like a regal Elizabeth II kind of thing. And you really get that, right? She just looks majestic. Yeah. No, it's great. Especially those like cloaks. I think they really make it because, yeah, cloaks are really flattering. They make me want a cloak. <laughs> yeah. So then, basically, the next time we see Poe, it's because Finn and Rose show up <laughs> with their um, like, uh, ship like bursting through the doors. And at first, people think they're enemies, but of course, they're not. And um, yeah, so Finn and Rose make themselves known. And then Poe is like, oh my god, buddy, yay! And I think he gives BB-8 a belly rub. Is that right? Yeah, it's really cute. (laughs) It is really cute. He seems more concerned about the droid than Rose and Finn. (laughs) Harsh, but true. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I guess at least he does have a longer standing relationship with BB-8. But still, I I would have thought that that humans would matter more to him. But I guess Poe's weird like that. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so basically after finn and rose show up um there's like a discussion about what facilities are actually available like at the base and there's discussion of like what the actual strategy is going to be because well obviously the first order's onto them and how are they going to survive like where are they going to go if they survive it's all those kinds of discussions and yeah, what what do you think about this whole like section of dialogue, Kirsty? What do you think they're trying to set up with it in terms of character? I think they are showing that Poe has developed from learning those lessons with um, Holdo and that he's mm-hmm. going to take on this more leadership role, but this time he's actually going to listen to the people around him and, yeah. and not just kind of rush into a situation and make his own his own call but that he's yeah. assaulting Rose on her her aspects of expertise in terms of the mechanics and the ships that they have. Um, he's mm-hmm. listening to Finn. He's listening to Leia. Um, it just mm. seems more collaborative and diplomatic. Um, yeah. But that could just be my reading of it. Yeah. No, that all makes perfect sense. And I think that's exactly what they were going for. Um, it's the kind of thing I didn't really register consciously when I was watching the movie, like all eight times. <laughs> um, but I think that's totally what's happening in terms of character stuff. Because, yeah, you definitely notice Poe becoming calmer and, like, thinking things through more and just stepping back from things, I think, and thinking more like a leader, which, yeah, is where he needs to be. There's really good progression for Poe throughout this whole movie, and I think talking through it makes that more apparent. Yeah, because, like, at this point, it's they're basically saying that they need to stall for time until the allies, who they think are going to come, arrive right and help them yeah so that's the point where they decide they're going to get into these skimmers and face the order head on um but but then we get the point where finn is insisting that they keep going towards the cannon and pose the one who says it's a suicide run so things yeah. have kind of come full circle for him and he's recognizing that now and that they need to pull back yeah no exactly and it's so interesting to see him be the person to make that judgment call because it's the perfect mirror to how he starts the film mm-hmm. with that um yeah with that like devil may care attitude and 
how like he loses all those lives but he clearly still at that point sees it as like heroic deaths he sees those deaths as valuable and worthy whereas now he's like no it's more important that these people stay alive and there's nothing to be gained from sending them forward on this mission because it's hopeless at this point and none of them would make it and yeah i think that to me is also the piece of crucial information we need to know that finn was never going to succeed yeah and that's why it's a good thing that rose knocks him out of the way because it wasn't that she was preventing him from making a sacrifice that would mean something she was preventing him from making a meaningless sacrifice and i think that's exactly what poe's dialogue tells us the cannon is charged it's a suicide run so (laughs) yeah like it's saying it's hopeless don't do it and yeah i think that's a really interesting illustration of how all these characters stories are intersecting and interacting yeah it's really cool how this one moment is about these two main characters arts coming together and that finn is in the position that poe was in at the beginning but but his his progression to get to that point is about his art coming full circle right that he has um stopped only caring about Ray, if you want to point into it this really simplistic way, but like at the beginning, he's obviously fixated on her and her well-being, and mm. him and her getting away. But that he's decided now, no, I do belong in the resistance. This is my cause. This is worth dying for. So yeah. it's a heroic act for him, but it's also a heroic act for Poe. And it's it's really yes. it's really great that you can get those those two characters seen seen very differently, but it points to both of them maturing in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It's really well done. And yeah, so Poe goes back to the base um, along with the other people who were in the speeders who were told to turn back. And then he witnesses Luke's arrival. Yeah, so Poe sees Luke there like going out to confront Kylo Ren. And again, in another sign of how much he's grown and how much better like his reasoning has become, he realises that there's actually more to... Luke going out there to confront Kylo like that than there would first appear. And he says, he's doing this for a reason. He's stalling so he can escape. And yeah, there's lots of dialogue, so I'll just read out some of the core parts. Um, yeah. So, um, like Finn tells Poe, we have to help him, we have to fight. Obviously suggesting the kind of course of action that Poe would have at the start of the film. Um, like, well, it ties into what we've been saying about these characters going along the same path, but just being at different stages along it. And then Poe, he actually has a different perspective now, and he says, no, no, we are the spark that will light the fire, that will burn the First Order down. Skywalker's doing this so we can survive. There's got to be a way out of this mine. And yeah, then they gradually realise by looking at what the Crystal Foxes are up to, that there is a way out of the mine, and then they follow them and eventually get to the blocked rock face that ray can lift up and to save them and yeah like i think it's really beautiful and interesting again how you see these characters progressions intersecting like this and you get this really direct contrast between how finn is thinking about the situation and how poe is thinking about it and yeah i think it illustrates their character growth because Finn's character growth was, like you were saying, Kirsty, it was going from a relatively selfish point of view to a more selfless one. But it's also more complicated than that because it's not like he's become perfect or complete as a person because he still needs to learn the lesson that Poe learned over the course of The Last Jedi, which is that you can't fight in every situation and that sometimes it's more important to just survive. 
and then Poe. He's clearly learnt that lesson, the lesson that Finn still needs to learn. But perhaps he does need to learn another lesson, which is about what Rose says, as which is about what Rose said, as we discussed earlier. The whole thing about like saving what you love and fighting for for what you love, rather than fighting to destroy something. Because yeah, at this point, Poe is still about destruction, bringing the First Order down, which probably isn't the way to go about things. Yeah, not in terms of an overall strategy, because we haven't heard from Leia explicitly what she wants, but presumably her goals were aligned with what Holdo was saying about restoring the Republic. Yes. Um, so, yeah, and I appreciate that, like you say, we have these unfinished arcs for the characters, that they've reached this point by the end of the second movie, but that you can still see potential for them to grow again in the third film, because you don't want it mm. to be like, oh, well, that's it for that character now. Like, where are they going to take him from here? That you can still yeah. see that they they have these things that they need to work on. Yeah, exactly. And it leaves things in a great place for JJ. Yeah. I like that through all of Poe's character development, he's still kind of being a dick to C-3PO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shut up! <laughs> so you can grow in so many ways, but you can never overcome that dislike of 3PO because, yeah, let's face it, everyone finds him annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Poor 3PO. <laughs> Yeah, so then after they all escape and they're safely on board the Falcon, um, we get one last look at Poe as he's introducing himself to Rey and he says he knows who she is, um, which, yeah, as we've mentioned, I think, in the Rey episode, it's a nice capstone to her arc because it's that demonstration of the fact, no, you're not a nobody, you are somebody, you're like a new legend now. And it's kind of... Yeah, like he has heard about this legendary Ray figure. So, yeah, of course he knows who she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to see the characters kind of coming together and being parts of those themes within each other's stories because you have to do that in some way, right? Because it's been so separated. Um, mm. But to to have it have this greater thematic resonance, you have to have these little elements that tie things together. So, Yeah, exactly. And yeah, then you have a beautiful final scene between Leia and Rey, which I think again is absolutely lovely, and it's a really nice like moment of female connection, um, with both of them comforting each other over the loss of Luke. Um, and yeah, like I love how like Leia puts her hand on Rey and like says, "We have everything we need," and that's so beautiful. Um, and yeah, like I think you note here, Kirsty, that's interesting that obviously nothing is said about everything that went down between Rey and Kylo Ren mm-hmm. um, and of course it's not because that is not the kind of thing you say as a film is closing up because <laughs> that's a whole can of worms <laughs> yeah it's unfinished like an business hour... exactly and it'd be like an hour long conversation <laughs> at least it's like what did you do yeah it's like stuff that you know is going to come out in some shape or form in episode 9 so yeah exactly so it's all unsaid here but it's almost like it's on the boil and it's like how long is it going to be until the lid like was blown off by all that pressure inside <laughs> because yeah it's pretty loaded mm-hmm. yeah because at this so, point yeah. Leia's had kind of her symbolic ha- like passing of the torch to Poe when she says why are you looking at me um follow him um mm. so when she is reunited with Ray, that kind of sets up what potentially would have been her focus for nine the rain yes. side of the story so yeah 
sad to think about what we won't get now that Carrie's not here, but I must say, like, in many ways I'm more excited for episode 9 than I was for episode 8, and like, I think, I feel like that's a bit of an edgy thing to say, so I feel like a lot of people people are the opposite. It's like, well, episode 8 didn't leave things, like, what? where is there to go now? But I think that's precisely why it's so exciting to me, because that are so many avenues in which they can take it and I do disagree with the suggestion that nothing was set up and there are no places to take these things so I think there is plenty of setup there but it's all character stuff you know it's like what we've been talking about in terms of these character arcs and these character journeys being unfinished at this point and yeah that's what I want to see resolved and that's what I'm most engaged by and yeah I'm desperately intrigued me too Although it still feels like too early for me to get like super swept up in it. Um, but even just like the fact that we're hearing JJ talk about it more now and um, like hearing about these hires for the art direction and stuff. It's like, ooh, it's starting to ramp up, even though filming yeah. hasn't started yet. Definitely. I'm really looking forward to the cast announcement. I think oh, that's yeah. be very interesting. That will be interesting because it's like... I mean, The Last Jedi had an awful lot of new characters, and I think they were used really well. I really loved Holdo, Rose, and DJ, um, and I feel like they were, they were great additions to supplement the main character's arcs. But in the last yes. film, you'd think that things would be pared down a little bit more. Um, yeah. So we'll see like if JJ is going to include many more new characters or if it's going to kind of focus on the main arcs that were set up in The Force Awakens. Yeah. I'd definitely expect it to mainly focus on the existing characters, but perhaps still have one or two significant new roles. But yeah, we will see. It's very exciting. Um, right, I think that wraps up our conversation about Pooh, Leia and Holdo in The Last Jedi. Um, I hope everyone had fun listening to that. <laughs> we certainly had fun talking about it. Um, I had much more fun than I imagined, actually. So I do like Poe, but like it's no secret he's not like my favorite fave um but yeah like talking about him there's actually a hell of a lot to discuss and lots of meat to get into so yeah it's been fun yeah he's not my favorite either but i was pleasantly surprised by how interesting i found that side of the story in the last jedi especially because they were cutting between these other character arcs that were very compelling like it's hard to compete with the ray and kylo stuff in my opinion um because that is clearly the central relationship of the trilogy and they did such a great job of it in this movie but yeah. I feel like it all comes together really well. Absolutely. Yeah, that was really well done. Anyhow, it's getting late here and I am sleepy. <laughs> so I am Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening and until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.